Welcome to Beyond Dragondom Podcasts. Series 2 are audio readings from Aisha, Primary Contact, by Leslie M. Laws. The author holds copyright, all rights reserved. Should you want more details on this series of books, check out the link to the Tales from Dragondom website. And now, let us join Aisha, going once more beyond the portal in the quantum space-time continuum. Episode 3 The Truth Revealed Vortexing into the ancient forest, close to the entrance to the cave where I had witnessed Mariana and the remnants from the villagers, Safira and Petrina, the fairies, along with Fortuna Raziput, immediately felt at home. They could feel the local elementals, and their presence was also picked up. I watched in amazement, as from nowhere, all around us, tiny beings seemed to manifest. Fortuna started to glow, as, without using telepathy, he was literally sending his warmth and gentleness to all around, and finding at the same time the exact language that these beings used. This would allow us to communicate locally without detection. I was witnessing a small part of the beautiful power of the unicorn, a thing I had not, until now, had the chance to see. The air around us was visibly changing. There was a radiant rainbow light that started as a sphere around Fortuna and was now growing outwards. This was taking in everything around him, even the trees and the land. The edges shimmered in pulsing rainbow colours. As I also became encompassed in this sphere, I was suddenly aware of all the voices around me, with a full understanding of all. Petrina was talking with one of the dryads, that had become visible in a nearby oak-like tree. Sephira was now sitting on the forest floor, literally covered in tiny fairies, nymphs and sprites, all talking at once. Laughter and excitement came from all those around Fortuna and Raziput, who also had their backs covered with tumbling and joyful elementals. I had to smile. Yet I was also trying to catch the important words that would tell us what had happened. What's happening here? Something touched my leg. I looked down, and there was a small deer. Can you hear me? The surprise must have showed on my face. You're different from the others. Are you here to help Mariana? I hope so. We all need help now. I put my hand down, and the deer let me stroke its head. Then, down pounced a squirrel, and ran up my arm, and sat on my shoulder. Me too, me too. Mariana always strokes me, me too. So I stroked it as well, while I listened to the deer, and then waited, while he went to tell Mariana I was coming in, and meant no harm. 
I also kept an ear, so to speak, on the other conversations around me, while I learnt the finer points of Zori and Squirrel. Aisha? It was Safira calling me. Yes? We are getting a lot of intel. See what you can get from Mariana when you go into the cave. Fortuna will send his shield with you to the entrance so that the whole sector, including the entrance, will be basically holographic shielded. This space will not exist in normal Zor time. Call it a security measure because of what we are finding out. Okay? I simply nodded in acknowledgement, and as soon as I saw the deer exit and stand by the entrance, I walked forward, taking the rainbow-edged holographic field with me. The inside of the cave was exactly as I had recalled it from my remote viewing, except now Mariana was standing in the middle of the main chamber, with the deer now alongside her, and what would easily be classed as a halo around her head, made up of fireflies. I could see the strain on her face. The sides of the cave, where I had seen the groups of people, were, however, dark. My name is Aisha. Don't be afraid. I am here to help, not hurt. As are my friends who are outside. I had used voice speak, and I saw her relief. She made a quick clicking sound, and I noticed streams of fireflies come out of hiding and settle back into groups on the walls of the cave, gradually illuminating all of the interior with their gentle green light. I moved closer, and the squirrel, which was dancing backwards and forwards across my shoulders, leapt through the air and landed on her shoulder and nuzzled her neck. Come. If you are here to help, you had better know what has, is happening here. We Zendarians don't usually live in caves, you know. She smiled sadly. I followed her to a quiet place further back in the cave and sat down on a boulder opposite her. The squirrel and the deer, still with us, as if afraid to leave her. She gently stroked their soft fur and then told them to go and join the one named Arminia and the children until I was ready to leave. We both watched them leave, and I could visibly see the love in her face for these beautiful creatures. Now she started to tell me the terrible tale of what had been happening here for the last three moon cycles. Her method of doing this was not what I had expected. Yet it was, in its own way, probably the best way of doing so. She took my hand and immediately transported me back so I could witness for myself what had transpired. It had all started one fine day, filled with laughter, when she and some of the other villagers had been coming home with their daily harvest from the forest. It was clear to me that they did not grow their own food in fields, but rather did so as part of the natural cycle and natural balance of nature within the forest edge, planting crops within the natural growth, below the tree canopy, in areas close enough to make collection easy, yet without destroying anything. 
As they neared the village, with their baskets and bags filled with food and herbs, a child had come running to say one of the villagers from another area had arrived and was in sore need of Mariana's medical help. They had all run with the youngster to see what was needed. The patient had been taken to Mariana's small cottage on the edge of the village, and she went in. It was the fear on the man's battered face that stood out, even to me, as being almost in a catatonic state. She had bathed his shivering body and wrapped the wounds that she found with herbs and also the festering ones with natural poultice, all the time receiving pictures flashing in her mind as she tended him. Pictures of caped beings with whips and strange weapons, which sent recipient of the force field emanating from them into uncontrolled spasms, tall, dark and menacing. Faces seemed hidden beneath grotesque masks. They lashed out at all they found in one way or another. Then we witnessed through the eyes of the patient as he hid many of the young villagers, both male and female, being rendered unconscious and thrown into a pile. He witnessed a craft as dark as night come down and hover just off the ground. A slight noise as the whole of the back of the craft opened like a mouth and simply scooped the unconscious bodies up. These were followed by the dark attackers. Then the craft closed up again. It simply disappeared. I felt a chill run down my spine. I went to move my hand, thinking she had finished, but she dug her fingers in tight and held me in place. She showed me her using the stone circles to go out to the villages further out on the lower plain. For some, she was in time to raise the alarm, and many headed and moved out into the swampland. For others, it was already too late. She helped the sick where she could, and together with her own clan people, the elementals and animals, helped move others to safety. She tried to send word to the trading posts on the high plateau, and although she had sent three times, no help arrived. Then the stone circle stopped working, and it had taken her many days to get home. Almost nightly, she saw strange crafts flying silently and low in the sky overhead, some going over the swampland and disappearing out over the sea, others that seemed to go in the direction of the high plateau and then simply vanish. She had arrived back home only two moons ago and found total destruction. Those who she had found hiding, all badly injured and left for dead, were now here. And so this brought us up to the now. She let go of my hand and turned away and busied herself drawing water from a pot that she had filling below a trickle of water coming out of the rock face. 
a natural spring. When she turned back towards me, she had composed herself, and I saw below the gentleness an icy strength. If you are really here to help, first, I need help here with the sick, and also safe ways to get food and herbs, for we are nearly out. Then I need to find a way to get word to my sister, out on the far side of the swamp, on the shores of the sea. She is a very powerful mage in her own right, and will know, I am sure, how to deal with these barbarians. What I don't understand is why she hasn't answered my calls. It was not said as a question, but more an observation. She looked me straight in the eyes. I could feel her pain, yet also her determination. It was not a weak plea for help, but almost a demand. That steely strength I understood and admired. On all of those counts, we can help. I will go and get the other members of my team from outside who are here specifically, like me, to find out what is happening, help where we can, and to stop the perpetrators. So, you see, we are on the same side. I smiled, and then, as an afterthought, I added, Strange, Jalimur never mentioned your sister. Yet, he was absolutely determined it was you who I should connect with first beyond anyone else on the planet. At the mention of Dralimur, her face lit up. You were sent by my wise old friend, by Zorgan. He and Miss Stally, his special bone-headed tree friend, must have picked up my call. Now I know we are going to be helped. Oh, joy! She never finished her words. As jug in hand, she rushed off to tempt someone who had cried out. I was about to head out for the passageway that led outside when I saw the small deer re-enter with both Raziput and Petrina in tow. Petrina reached out in Zorian elemental speak and told me that it was safe to use that now as the entire area around the cave was being held in a separate portal of spiral space by Fortuna. To say I was amazed is an understatement, but I was learning fast that the unicorns have immense gifts, which were far beyond anything I could have imagined. Before this mission was over, I had no doubt that they would be shown in many ways. Help with the sick and those who need to know there is nothing more to fear. We must bring the vibration back up. We also need help to get food and wild herbs for them and to restock Mariana's medical herbs. What is Safira doing? Oh, she's talking with the Dryads and the others and will be about now probably on her way to meet with Findlestan to seek permission to harvest on behalf of Mariana and tell her of our presence here, who sent us, and the reason for it. With that, she reached into a small pouch that hung around her neck and withdrew some fairy dust.
I watched with a smile as she blew it in the air and the whole cave lit up with a gentle golden light that chased away every dark place within the hole. It was, in fact, as light now as a warm sun's day. I smiled, shook my head and headed back outside. I was part, it seemed, of an amazing team. That, I had a feeling, over the next few moons was going to become more and more apparent as I learnt their strengths and we got used to working together. As the light of the twin moons started to rise over the lower plains of Zor, I said goodbye to all and made my way once more to the reality that was outside the safety of the parallel space that Fortuna had created for everyone's safety. The air had a distinct chill to it as I prepared to vortex back to base camp. I was hoping that Little One and the others had better news than mine, and also that Ipiga would have found out what we were really up against. I took a few deep breaths and focused my mind on where I wished to go. In the blink of an eye, everything around me was spiralling round and round, and then I was there. I landed at the mouth of the caves that we had used as our base and nearly frightened the life out of Hixlonidios, who had just been walking out of the cave entrance. I would have to be more careful next time, but had not wanted to land in the stone circle in case someone detected my energy and got curious. Fortunately, he held back from sending out a sound blast from his staff, and had instead been ready to fell the intruder. The staff whistled past my head, missing by fractions, as he recognised who it was and shifted slightly. I heard someone laugh behind me and turned to see Ipiga sitting on the rocks not far away. He got up, still laughing. While I understand your desire to get here, you really should be more careful where you land. You could have been brained. Next time, why not aim for the other side of the rocks so you can call that you are here and save everyone from ageing? He walked past me into the cave entrance without another word. Hexlondius relaxed his grip on the staff and shook his bovine head. Sorry about that, but he's right. I could have hurt you. Please, Aisha, don't frighten me like that again. Laughing quietly as he turned and returned to his post by the front of the cave. I will, next time, honestly. Is little one inside? Are the others back yet? I got my answer on the first question with a warm breath on my neck, then a whisper in my ear. I'm here. I've been trying out my chameleon translucent self to see how well I can hold it here and for how long. So, even you didn't see us. Now that is a great amount of progress in a short time. It seems we will be able to be more useful here than anybody thought. He playfully nudged me forward towards the cave. Come on, 
Ipega has only been waiting for you to get back, before he briefs us all. Wouldn't do it till you were here. Move! We all want to hear what he found, and also about your findings.